now tuned in to the cold hard truth. Cayman's number one hard-hitting live podcast show, where we feature some straightforward conversations on political, social, and celebrity news, and all things happening in the Cayman Islands and around the world. This show was created to give the people a voice and a means of being involved and informed without any filters. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. We bring you the tea piping hot so grab your favorite beverage and join the conversation via whatsapp at 324-1612 email tips at caymanmorrowroad.com now here's your host sandy hill broadcasting live from the beautiful cayman islands Tree. 
Okay, good morning, everyone. We just had a little accident here on the desk. My water spilled everywhere. So give me one second to clean this mess up. And then we will be live and direct. Yikes. Let me put on some music for you guys to enjoy while I try to sort out my uh, water situation. I literally just knocked the cup over and well, you know what happens when you knock a cup of water over? That's it. It's all over the desk, the ice, the water, everything. Ugh. What a hot mess. Give me one quick second here. Thanks to Albert for this song that we can actually play in queue this morning. Yo, yo, this politician going about, uh-huh, vote for him. What is that? And give me $50. $50? Every time the election thing come around, you know. Every time, boy. Play. What are I going to do? We know to deal with politics, 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 and then bugger tricks, bugger tricks. Can't fool me and tech with a clown, tech with a clown. No, 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 no. We know to deal with politics, 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 and them bag of tricks. Politics. Boy, Alric Clinton, cause him no, 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 no. The foundation we grow on every four years a campaign slogan. How it is? Love go on like them no no man until time fi come look out from. Oh, please not try fi come sweet me. All you a smile up for your life easy. Mm -hmm. Them too deep and greedy. No one help but want fi come greet me. Straight from Windsor Park to South Sound I already people them more around hey. I get to you to fight down Shit fuck the system right now Right now, People are tired for crying now Mommy just want the chance to provide now For survive No more tired of the tie down We want freedom to live life now We know to deal with politics 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 and them bag of tricks Bag of tricks Can't fool me and take with a clown Take with a clown No, 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 no we not to deal with politics, politics, politics and them bag of tricks, politics. Boy, Rick Clinton, cause him no, 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 Alric. En la vida de políticos siempre es lo mismo. Hace mucho tiempo no votaron por el chico, solo porque fue de viaje a diferentes lugares. Ahora viene con todo y más fuerte, ahora no necesita de la suerte. Tiene más apoyo de su gente, un hombre honesto hasta la muerte, yeah. Y este señor simplemente quería ser un candidato mejor Por eso estaba en eso de aprender el español Honduras, Venezuela y Panamá También se fue a República Dominicana Luego ellos lo llevaron al de Pensando que lo iban a ganar Pero no pudieron y salieron sin nada We know to deal with politics 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 and them bag of tricks Bag of tricks Can't fool me and take with a clown Take with a clown No, 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 no we not to deal with politics, politics, politics and them bag of tricks. Politics, Alric Clinton, cause him no, 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 no. But to all them get bill again, roundabout get bill again. It's an election bill again, talk the goodwill again. Holy for politic again. Things that get thick again, suffering still a gwan. Baby a ball, why mommy a yawn? Daddy a work from dust to dawn, oh this still a gwan. But for the youth where I met the mark, Alric have the house back to deal with politics. 
Politics and them bag of tricks. Bag of tricks. Can't fool me and take with the clown. Take off the clown. No, 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 no. We not to deal with politics. Politics. Politics and them bag of tricks. Politics. Or be Hillary Clinton, cause him no, 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 no. We not to deal with politics. All right. Good morning, guys. Thank you so much for um, your patience. My apologies. Just as I was coming online, my right hand, you guys know I'm right-handed, hit the water and bloop, it went all over the desk. Um, so I had to quickly try to wipe it up. There's still remnants of it. <laughs> um, but I think we're in good stead. Didn't look too bad. A few things went straight in the bin. Uh, but I think by and large, we're a okay. I was able to grab a towel really quick. The speakers are still working. Um, thankfully, the computer itself isn't right in this area. It's just all the other stuff, but still. Water can damage a lot, folks. So I wanted to quickly pull that out of the way. So there's a lot going on today. I'm actually trying to pull up a feed for you guys. I'm hoping that I can um, get this feed going because I think you're going to find this super interesting. Um, as many of you know, there was a big interview last night with Megan and um, I guess he's no longer Prince, but uh, what, what do we call him? Megan and Harry. Um, what's Harry's last name? <laughs> I mean, these are the things that we now need to know because, of course, Harry cannot use any of his royal titles anymore, which is quite amazing and astonishing. But there were a number of very, very interesting revelations that came out of the episode last night. I am not particularly shocked by any of it, but I do think um, <clears throat> there are a lot of people who are and uh, they have expressed their shock and surprise. Uh, what I would say is, even now that she has, you know, shown a, a different side of what really transpired, there are still people who are not going to like Megan, not going to believe Megan, um, not for any real reason, other than they have bought into the narrative, which is what she discussed last night, um, of what she is. And that was put together by the UK press and the UK tabloids. And so am I surprised when she talks about how the fact that they did not want to give her child, her son, as uh, she was pregnant at the time, they not only did not, did they not want to give him a title, which she said, okay, you know, whatever, but without a title, it meant that he would get absolutely no security. And I was just thinking, you know, as a mother, I couldn't imagine marrying into a family like that. They confiscate your passport. They take your ID. They do all of these things. And then they turn around and tell you, oh, well, you know, your child isn't going to be a royal. And so we're not going to give him um, any security, which, by the way, isn't normal. There are other people far more removed than Megan. And, um, you know, they get to have those, those privileges. So I do think that there's so much more at play here. I think there were revelations made last night 
that uh, again may have take, taken some of you by surprise, didn't take me by surprise. The blatant racism is something that we should have expected. Um, and I, you know, when she talked about the fact that she was suicidal, for example, I'm also not surprised by that. She's not the only member of the royal family that has felt that way. Harry has been in counseling and getting therapy for many, many years. So folks, you're presented with one picture of the royals and you know that's all fine and dandy, but let me assure you that that is not the only, that's not the truth and it's not the only side to things to be quite frank. So it was, I think it was good because like I said, there was still people who were gonna castigate her and oh, well, she's an actress. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Just because you're an actress doesn't mean that you're not a person or that, um, you know, you don't uh, have feelings and you're not a real person. Like, what does that mean? Yes, you act. That's a job. Anyway, I thought it was revealing. I was very, very disturbed by a lot of it. I think we also have to understand, and I think that this the um, symbiotic relationship are almost like, not even symbiotic relationship, but the, um, what I would call, um, oh gosh, what, what would I call this? The parasitic, parasitic relationship between um, the press, the tabloids and the royal family is something I think that a lot of people are not well versed in. So, for example, she talked about how the royal family actually hosts parties and events for the tabloid newspapers, same newspapers that are writing about the royal family. So <clears throat> what do you guys think happens in terms of, um, you know, oh, this is supposed to be impartial reporting? There are people in the royal family who are leaking stories and they're trying to create a certain narrative by doing so. For example, the story that they leaked about um, her making, what's her sister-in-law's name? Um, Kate cry. Apparently it was the opposite. Kate made her cry. And yet they put out there um, that she was the, the aggressor. Am I surprised with that? No, I'm not. Not one bit am I surprised by that. Of course, the person of color is always going to be the aggressor. You know, that's what we do as people of color. We can't control our tempers. We can't, you know, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And I want to take my hats off to Harry, who has stood by his wife um, more than anything. There were so many parts of that that, you know, I remember when Princess Diana got married, she was very young. She was only 19 years old. And there's so much about that that as I became an adult that started to concern me when I would just look at the relationship between her and um, Prince Charles, I'm thinking, what big man? How, how old was Prince Charles? Was he not in his 30s? And she was like 19 years old. Why would you even be attracted to a 19-year-old child who had little to no experience and then throw, let me just... Um, let me tell you how old he was and then throw her into the dungeon. So he was actually 32 years old. 
at the time that he married a 19 year old and nobody thought, oh, this is a little bit weird, okay? That a 32 year old who has lived a very full life with all of these uh, royal protections would want to marry someone almost double his age, almost um, half of his age. <laughs> Listen, it's there's so much about the royal family, just like how they're protecting his brother, who by all indications is probably a pedophile, okay? The royal family protects people. They plant stories on individuals within the royal family. Um, you know, sh both her and Harry were looking a little bit too popular initially. And so they wanted to nip that in the bud. And even when she started to have issues with her mental health care, her mental well-being, I should say, um, they decided not only to not take those concerns seriously, but when she requested help, deny her the help that she was requesting. So I'm going to, um, I've just got a, I'm going to bring up, um, of course, it's all over the news this morning, right, folks? So there are a number of things that are going on um, in relation to that. And I will bring up some of the news feed. I'm just waiting to see. Um, when they're gonna get back to, um, they're interviewing Oprah this morning and they're showing footage that, that was not aired. But um, everything from setting them up to fail when they decided to finally leave the royal family, you know, is interesting. Uh, making sure that he got cut off financially. So um, I'm just gonna, I wanna keep an eye on, on this um, this morning so that I can bring you guys, um, there's a specific feed that I'm looking for that I'm gonna show you guys some more of the interview. But yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. It is just absolutely crazy. And like he said, his mother actually, by her leaving him, you know, what she did. Ah, uh, here we go. Let me show you guys a little snippet of what's what's live right now. Runs the monarchy. Hold on one second, uh, folks. I want to ask you, we had Tina Brown on earlier who said that this interview is like kryptonite for the royal family. And I'm sure Harry and Meghan, when they agreed to have this conversation with you, knew it was not going to make their relationship with the royal family any easier. Why do you think they agreed to do it? Oh, I think they agreed to do it, wanted to do it, were ready to do it because when you have been lied about for a series of years, I think anybody, you, you can understand this, if in your own office or in your own family, somebody is saying things about you that are not true and how hurtful that is. Or if you're online and you read the comments from something that somebody has said about you, and you continue to see those comments, how hurtful that is. So imagine that for over a period of months and years, and you know that it isn't true. I think the most important thing for them, you know, before I do any interview, I have a conversation with 
uh, whoever I'm interviewing and ask, tell me what your intention is, and I will tell you what my intention is, and let's see if we can align those two, because I don't want you to finish an interview and at the end of the interview say, I wish I had said. And let's talk about, wait, the jaw-dropping moment, the first one, about the color of the baby's yeah. skin. And you, you asked mm -hmm. Harry about it when he came out. He did not tell you who it was. Do you, did you all have another conversation about it? Because that was something that, mm -hmm. there was a big guessing game all around the world. Who was it, who was it, who was it? And yeah. I thought it was very touching that Harry still is choosing to protect the identity of whoever that was. Yes, and he did not share the identity with me, but he wanted to make sure that I knew, and if I had an opportunity to share it, that it was not his grandmother nor his grandfather that were a part of those conversations. That it was not his grandmother and Prince Philip, he said? Yeah, was not his grandfather. Neither his grand, grand, grandmother nor grandfather were a part of those conversations. He did okay. not tell me who were a part of those conversations. Right. As you can see, I tried to get that answer yeah. Yeah. Uh, on camera and off. All right, Oprah, stay with us. You have more never before seen clips for us, including Megan talking about her own family. All right, folks, so I'm going to, um, let me just pull this out here <clears throat> for a second. Um, so I, I will bring this back in um, when we um, when we have an opportunity, but I, I think it's easy for us to sit back and judge Megan and talk about, well, she knew what she was getting into. You know, she was a woman in her 30s. She was this, she was that. And I was like, wow. She made it very clear, in fact, that not only did she not know what she was getting into, but where a lot of people um, think that, you know, oh, she gets um, protocol training. She gets to do, you know, somebody tells her in terms of etiquette, this is what you do and this is what you don't do and all this sort of thing. And for her to reveal that they don't even do that, you know, she's not a British citizen even. Um, she is, <clears throat> you know, an, uh, Canadian originally. And I think the rest of her life was spent in the U S so, uh, she made mention of such simple things like not knowing the British anthem, not knowing what, what do they call the thing, how you bow to the queen and how you sit with your legs and all of this stuff. I mean, I swear that I always thought for sure, anyone who comes into the Royal family they are given a 101 on how to be a royal, an intensive course on this is what you do, you know, six months of training before the wedding day. And apparently none of that happens. The royals don't do that. And so I think from the onset, they are meant to keep people who are outsiders, outsiders. And it's unfortunate um, that because his, um, because, um, Harry married an outsider and even his father decided to marry an outsider. It's just astonishing to me that they don't try to embrace those people a little bit more and welcome them. So I'm just going to keep an eye on the feed because when it comes back, I want you guys to hear it. Cause I know some of you may not have um, had an opportunity to actually view 
Um, just trying to see if I can move this app over, but it doesn't actually let me move it. I know a lot of you may not have had an opportunity to actually view the interview last night. And these are bits and pieces of what wasn't even in the interview. Um, so, you know, th there's so much more to this. Um, Sharm says that she's lying. You get groomed and taught royal protocol. I don't think so. I, I see absolutely no reason for Megan to lie about that. I don't think her husband would have allowed her to sit there and lie about something as simple as that. I think what you get training in, I know that they did, for example, a security course with her. In case you get kidnapped, you know, this is what you do. So there's some aspects to what they do. And apparently there's a lot of, um, you know, what they don't do. So it, it, it's sad, but why, why do people relegate her to being a horrible person? Nobody knows Megan. You guys are not friends with her. You don't know her. And everybody's like, oh, she's a liar. She's this, she's that. Why do we feel so strongly about the first modern day African-American um, who has um, married into the royal family? She's a social climber. Why do you say that? Was Diana a social climber too? Diana was not royalty. She did not come. She came from a middle-class family in the UK. So tell me, um, was she also a social climber at the age of 19 with a 32-year-old hardback man who had his mistress from day one of their marriage? I mean, I think we put too much stock and belief in the royals um, and the BS that they're trying to feed us. I, for one, am very, very cautious because the UK is the same country who destroys other countries when they go independent. They destroyed Jamaica with the banana and other Eastern Caribbean islands with the banana trade. Purposely did that. If they can destroy entire nations of people, do you not believe that they have the capacity to belittle someone and make someone so small, not leaving your house, but twice in two months, taking your passport, taking your, your travel ID, telling you you're not allowed to meet with your friends, you're not allowed to have any normalcy in your life, no outlet whatsoever? I, I'm just not buying it. I'm not buying that anybody in their right mind um, gets into the royal family thinking that um, this is going to be a joy ride, but I don't think that she realized how bad it was going to be. For a woman to sit on national television and talk about how suicidal, like she'd gotten to the breaking point of actually taking her own life. And, you know, on a particular evening, she would not be, um, she did not want to be left alone because she was afraid of what she would do. So she got ready and went to function with her husband. We don't know the struggles that people are facing in the background. I think the fact that so many people have been more than happy to, to um, what's the word I'm looking for, villainize her, speaks volumes. Kate has never been villainized. And I mean, if you guys don't think Kate is a friggin' um, social climber, really? She just knew how to play the game, right? When she gave, um, what's what's her husband's name? Whatever his name is, the other prince, um, you know, an ultimatum. And she broke it off. So she she wrote the book on, on how to get, get what women want or whatever the name of that book is, where this is how you do certain things to men so that you can stay relevant in their lives. I, I don't appreciate the comments and all of the bashing that has happened of Megan for people who have no clue about her or her life or anything else. She was, I mean, let's face it, she was already an A-list actress, right? Um, 
I don't know that you can necessarily sometimes choose who you fall in love with. You can decide whether or not you're going to pursue a relationship with them. And that's a completely different matter. I know Andre's waiting. Andre, I see you. Um, not to worry. We're going to bring you in here in a second. Andre um, is joining us. He's running for West Bay South. And of course, he's lived in the UK. And for people to talk about, you know, like there's no prejudice in the UK um, is just absolutely crazy. And if you think the whitewashed royal family themselves do not have their own prejudices, you're also crazy, in my opinion. I think that she has been treated the way in which she did largely because she is a person of color. And I cannot imagine um, falling in love with someone. I'm a person who has been married and dated a white man before uh, with blue eyes. And I've experienced certain things. And I know that if I was not in that relationship as a person of color, I would have never experienced, right? It's not as bad for sure as what some others have experienced, but I have a little bit of a reality check on what people will say behind closed doors and how they think even within families and that sort of thing. And to have someone question, well, what are your children um, gonna look like? So we're back now. Let me just pull this back up, folks, so you can just get a little bit more of a glimpse into this. Again, here I discuss feeling not supported by the royal family from attacks the UK tabloids, and they say the attacks on them were different because of race. You remember this one? Let's listen. Mm -hmm. You had these conversations with your family members that know why you left. Mm -hmm. So has anybody said, I'm sorry you had to make that move, or I'm sorry you felt that you had to do that because you felt we were not supporting you? No, sadly not. The, the, the feeling is that this was our decision, therefore the consequences are on us. Um, and despite three years of, of, of asking for help and seeing or, or visualizing how this might end, mm -hmm. it was, I don't know, I just, it was, it's been, it's, look, it's been really hard because I'm trying, I am part of, I'm part of the system. With, with them, I was happy. Um, but I guess there is, I'm very aware of this, but my brother can't leave that system, but I have. Does your brother want to leave the system? I don't know, I can't speak for him. But with that relationship and that, that, that control and the fear by the, by the, uh, by the UK um, tabloids, it's a really, it's a toxic environment. Um, but I will always be there for him. I will always be there for my family. And I, as I said, I try to help them to see what has happened. Do they think it's a toxic environment or do you all just think it's a toxic environment because you're now out of it? Do, if we were to have an interview with them or a conversation with them, does your father think it's a toxic environment or relationship? I think he's, he's had to make peace with it. Then why couldn't you make peace with it? I'll ask that of both of you. Because if this was different. You know, different because different because of the race and social media and social media. Oh yeah, that, different time. That, that different time. That didn't exist, and so it was like the wild, wild west. It was mm -hmm. spread like wildfire. Plus, my being American, it translated in a different way across the pond. So you had a noise level that was very different. But if they can't see that it's different, 
So you felt bullied on an international level. But I think the I think the volume of what was coming in and the interest was greater because of social media, because of the fact that I was not just British, um, and that unfortunately, if members of his family say, "Well, this is what's happened to all of us," or if his, you know, if if they can compare what the experience that I went through was similar to what has been shared with us. Kate was called Waity Katie, waiting to marry William. Well, I imagine that was really hard, and I do. I can't picture what that felt like. This is not the same. And if a member of his family will comfortably say, we've all had to deal with things that are rude, rude and racist are not the same. Mm. And equally, you've also had a press team that goes on the record to defend you especially when they know something's not true. And that didn't happen for us. You mentioned earlier, Harry, that you were hurt by the fact that there's been no acknowledgement on the part of your family that this was different because of race. Do you think there ever will be? And would that make a difference to you? Yeah, it would make a huge difference. Um, you know, as I said, there's a lot of people that have seen it for what it was. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people. Like, it's talked about across the world. <laughs> Yet, the, the very people that don't want to see it or can't see it choose not to see it. Wow. Boy, Oprah, when he said, when, when Megan said, rude and racist are not the same, I thought that was a very powerful statement. And I'm yeah. curious about so your reaction too. Awesome. Yeah, your reaction when you saw that. And the other thing that I'm hearing already chatter bubbling up is if these two want privacy, why are they sitting down with the queen of American television? I think there's a difference between privacy and intrusion. Could you talk about that from their point of view and what you thought yes, when she said rude and well, racist? Well, I, I thought that was really very powerful. And I also, you know, thought that she was gracious when speaking about what happened with Kate Middleton in terms of, you know, Brady Katie, they are not the same. And I think um, what Anthony said earlier, I don't think the American public understands that we, we attempted to, but weren't really able to uh, show you what the barrage of daily vitriol uh, and negativity on a regular basis, on a consistent basis, does to your personal psyche. I mean, it wasn't just like a couple of stories. It, it's a business, yeah. and she's a commodity yeah. and an asset to that business. And so, what uh, the point that they made in the interview that we weren't able to show is that yes, they want privacy, but they understand that they are public figures, mm -hmm. and the privacy is to not to be intruded upon. Right. The same thing everybody else in the world wants, and that there is a difference between privacy and intrusion and being able to have boundaries. Yes, yes, you want privacy. You don't want helicopters and people hiding in the bushes, uh, filming your baby outside playing. And um, I think that when people say, oh, they're talking now and they want it privacy, they don't understand that there is a difference between being a public figure who wants to have some boundaries and not to be consistently intruded upon yeah. versus being private. Yeah, or, or, or an 
and also please tell the truth. I've heard one example of, okay, I'll share one photo with you, say on Instagram, doesn't mean I want you to have the whole role. And it was a nonstop right. of negative press that was not true. Oh, I'm, I'm curious. Yes. I mean, there were so many, there were so many bombshells in this interview. I mean, it seemed like one after another. <coughs> was, was there, was there anyone that especially surprised you? Uh, I think the skin tone, the color, uh, the, the discussions about uh, what color, what, what Archie's skin tone would be, that surprised me. Uh, what also surprised me was, and that's why I clarified, were you just feeling badly, were you feeling sad, or were there actual suicidal yeah. ideation yeah. thoughts mm. of harming yourself? Oh, that also uh, really surprised me. Oh, I just want to clarify one It surprised thing. me that Harry said he was trapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Surprised yeah. me that Harry said he said he was trapped, and when I said, "How are you trapped if you're in a palace?" and then he came back at me like, "Yes." But I also thought it was very interesting that he added that he felt his father and his brother were trapped too. Yeah, he made a point. He yes. was really specific, yes. but he was there. Oprah, we're running out of time. But I want to clarify: when you say you were surprised about the skin tone conversation, were you surprised that that would be true inside the palace, or were you surprised they were telling you about it? I was surprised that they were telling me about it. Mm. I mean, I, I think that's when the, the first jaw dropped for a lot of people, and it's it generated yeah. a lot of yeah, even, even I, yeah, guys, even I on the tape, you could hear me go, whoa, because yeah. I'm like, I cannot even believe you are saying this yeah. right now. But I think it speaks to them talking to you and how comfortable they felt. We'll get more about that, too. Oprah oh, Taylor, this, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll show everyone what Megan said about her father. Remember, that was a big, big deal at the time. What was going on between Megan and her father at the time of the wedding? This is the first time that she's spoken about him publicly since becoming a royal. But first, it's All right, folks. Um, super interesting. Uh, someone made mention here of the fact that, um, and I know Andre's waiting, so we're going to get to Andre. Um, some Someone did say that, um, you know, well, didn't she know what... Um, Diana went through and I think, wow, I mean, to look, all of us look from the outside and we know a snippet of Diana's story or we think we know it and to not think that things have changed since when did Diana die 20 years ago or 10 years ago, whatever it was, um, to not even understand how things have changed since then that would exacerbate any sort of trauma that you're getting from the media. You know, the media ultimately ended up causing Diana, costing Diana her life. And that was a very sad situation. So we have a glimpse, but to be in a situation versus looking in from the outside, I think are two very, very different things. And I think it's sad that people are not as sympathetic towards that situation, but wishing the Royals all the best of luck. Happy International Day, by the way. Mr. Andre Ebanks, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Mic check, can you hear me okay? Yes, we can hear you perfectly fine. Well, Thank good morning you so to you. Much. Good morning to you and your viewers, Cayman and Caymanians overseas that may be listening around the world. Yes, thank you so much um, for joining us. Now, you yourself have lived in the UK, and I'm sure that that was um, a very interesting uh, experience for you. Um, now, I know you want to spend a little bit of time this morning um, sort of speaking freely before we start getting into any questions about, um, you know, parts of your manifesto, what your vision is, why you've decided to um, run for office. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And then we're gonna get into some questions that we have for you as well as some audience questions. Sure. If I could start by saying happy 
International Women's Day. It's a time to celebrate women's achievements and also to move forward the gender uh, equality agenda um, oh. in, a, in a meaningful way. So while there have been some achievements, there is now scope to improve matters even further. And it goes beyond just, say, violence and discrimination. It's also the subtle matters in terms of equal pay, uh, sexual harassment, and not just in the workplace, but also outside of the workplace, in terms of practices, uh, family, family leave. There are a whole lot of other subtle issues that still need to be addressed. And although we've taken large steps forward as a country with the gender equality law and also the extension of the UN Convention, CEDAW, to the Cayman Islands in 2016. There's still more work to be done, but at the same time, we do have to celebrate our achievements. So happy International Women's Day to, to all women, and in particular, uh, my, my former gender equality warriors. And I think that might provide a, a useful launch pad because the 2021 theme of International Women's Day is I choose to challenge, which is interesting and has a, a synergy with my reason for stepping forward and standing for election. It's, it's akin to the sentiments I expressed at our, our launch meeting on Thursday of last week, that although I had a good job, a very honorable job in representing these islands in the UK and in the EU and Europe, it became a, a point, an inflection point whereby after doing the role for 18 months, and part of that was living in, in UK lockdown, and I can describe a little bit of that later, but then coming home after that time and being really proud of the work that was done in the UK in terms of grappling with the implications of Brexit on behalf of the country, we were also on an EU tax list involved in removal of that list, and then also the impact of COVID in terms of Caymanians overseas who were either trapped in the UK and needed to get home or vice versa, once they've gotten home, needed to return. So there was a good solid body of work there to be proud of. And I think the government also should be commended for the manner in which it handled COVID. Once we landed as a family and got out of quarantine, you could marvel at things that you just couldn't do in the UK, just simple things of just being able to go to the grocery store quite freely, to be able to mingle with friends and family over Christmas, so that we do have to count our blessings. But at the same time, after, after leaving quarantine and returning, even though we counted those blessings, I got the sense that Cayman is a real shining star in the region, and you can see that externally. But internally, there's a lot of work to do. And so I came to a point where a crisis of conscience happened, and I thought I could continue and return to the UK and continue good work on behalf of the country, or do I really look inside myself and decide to choose the challenge the status quo and not accept events at the way that they are and deal with some of the deep rooted issues that I believe that COVID has brought more to the forefront. Arguably a number of these issues were already in existence, but I think they have been brought to bear by COVID. And I thought to myself, this may be a time, notwithstanding whoever else may be 
challenging for the West Bay South seat, whoever else might be in any other seat, that it's a time where I think the country needs to have the most qualified, experienced people possible to work in a collaborative way to solve our country's problems. And with that, um, my wife and I prayed. Mm -hmm. We thought to ourselves, what well, the logistical steps to actually do this? And we had lots to think about, because as I mentioned on Thursday, we were packed and, and ready to go on the 6th of January. But then we had to think, all right, to make sure that this isn't all pie in the sky, what would we really have to do to, do to do this? We'd have to get the kids back into school. We would have to buy clothes because we only came with a bit of clothes for Christmas holiday. We'd have to discuss with my employer what the, the leaving terms and not, and, and London is a, an important post and I wouldn't want to leave the office in a lurch. So we had to have those conversations, but we thought if along the way, any of those presented a red light, then it's a sign from the Lord that this isn't your time. But as we move through that logistical checklist and we just continue to see the doors open, we took it as a sign that the Lord has said, at least give yourself this opportunity to stand and to choose the challenge. And that's how I arrive here today. Well, thank you, um, Andre, for that bit of background information. I think it certainly is helpful. I was actually at your meeting um, on Thursday, and I think a lot of people were able to view the live stream on our platform as well. Um, the last time I checked, it had, oh gosh, I want to say at least 6,000 views. So I think a number of people definitely uh, got to see it. One of the questions, and as I say that, I see that um, you know this question has popped up by Lana Farrington that people are asking the exact same question. So you mentioned that this was a bit of a last minute decision for you. And out of that, I think um, people obviously know that around the same time that you made a decision to step back um, and you know return to the Cayman Islands with your family and enter into the political arena, um, Tara Rivers, there seems to be a coincidence in timing, decided to, um, not run. She hadn't officially announced it as yet. But of course, we know that at least a week before she had her press conference, we knew that it was coming. We actually did a story on the fact that it was coming. We also knew before you sort of did, you know, your official resignation that you would be resigning and seeking political office. So, you know, this is came out, Andre. People are always talking. We like to set the record straight uh, here on the hardcore truth. So, there is this rumor um, in circulation that you have been sort of handpicked by the progressives and you are, you know, Tara's designated replacement for um, West Bay South. And so I want you to, I want to give you, you know, whatever opportunity you need this morning to clarify this rumor. Um, where do you think the rumor comes from? And most importantly, is it true or is it, or is it not true? Have you had any discussions with the progressives or the CDP? Did they in any way encourage you to run for political office or offer their support? So the rumor is not true. Okay. Categorically. I think where the rumor come from, comes from, if, if I have to put myself in other folks' shoes, mm -hmm. it does seem strange that my candidacy sort of came out of nowhere, and I get that. Mm -hmm. So if I was on the outside looking in, at, not even just being Cayman, any country, you would look at the facts and say, well, why would he come out now? This seems a bit peculiar. Mm -hmm. all, I can, all I can tell you is those other factors are out of my control. Things happen in life that coincide. The deep-rooted 
passion in me started well in December, before I knew anything about Minister Rivers' plans. I, the only thing that I'd heard just even before I came to Cayman, um, you kind of had keeping your eyes, I do on my in my post of what the political landscape would look like because that's part of the role, would know who, who had already stepped forward. But none of that entered into my thinking. I, I'll, I'll be very honest with, with your viewers now. It came about, the seed was planted. We were having dinner and I won't mm -hmm. call, call their names, with two senior civil servants and their spouses. And we got into this engaging discussion after Christmas about all the things that we would like to see and do differently. And the end of the conversation was, okay, but at the end of the day, a civil servant can only take things so far. You're still, mm -hmm. you're the policy advisor, you're not the policy maker. So mm -hmm. the dinner table was split between folks who said, well, no, as a civil servant, you can still be there as the guardrails. That's mm -hmm. important. You have a permanent pensionable job, you succeed government and you're there to advise. The other half of the table thought, but if we continue to think that way and people who understand how government actually works, how to work with the civil servants don't step forward, then how will the things that we are concerned about ever change? And that convers spontaneous conversation, remember now, we were just there to just relax and have fun over Christmas and let the kids play, but we couldn't help it. We got into a very engaging conversation and that seed is what troubled me and then decided to say, look, which is why it went with my campaign theme song. I ended up forming the view on the other side of the table that if we all just sit back and no one takes a step forward, then nothing that we're concerned about ever changes. So at least try. And I did that blindly of what anybody else's plans were. Mm -hmm. The challenge for me was to think about now, which goes to the root of your question, how will folk, what will folks make of this? Um, but I can't help that. All I can mm -hmm. do is say that I put my best foot forward and I'm standing in a very independent, unaffiliated way. To answer your question about communication, I think just about all of the different political groupings wanted to call me to just confirm the rumor that they'd heard I was running. And they wanted to know whether it was a serious decision. And I told all of them the same thing I'll tell your viewers today. Mm -hmm. When they called, I said, this is me. This doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody else in terms of Minister Rivers, whether a current opponent is in, whether anybody else popped up before nomination day. This is something that's deeply inside Andre E. Banks, who has a conviction, who wants to put forward a case for election and let the voters evaluate. I don't plan to talk to anybody else in terms of talk about anybody else. I want to keep it very issues-based, and this has nothing to do with any other candidate. And yes, it's, it's a serious consideration. And I left it at that. Now, fast forward, it's, it's obvious from post-nomination, I'm definitely in, but those were the conversations. And I should actually make another point there that when I went about that journey to can't do it alone, you need folks to support you. And every member of my committee that I approached one-on-one, -on -one, it was a meeting of the minds. I didn't even have to convince them that we want to go about this in an in an independent, unaffiliated way. So there are folks at the table, if, if my if my campaign committee was an elected government, it would be a coalition because there are folks there who are PPM, 
C4C, former UDP, and just former independence. And all of us came away with the views that we need to put all of that to the side, put forward our best, our, our best and, and minds to the table to try to get good work done for the country. Okay, were you ever a member of the progressives? Yes, and the in 2013, the 2013 election, 2012, mm -hmm. 2013, you might remember there was a bit of political turbulence around that era. Mm -hmm. And that brought about, I think, the creation of C4C. And mm -hmm. there were a number of, I think, folks my age who wanted to get involved in, in the system. And at that time, I was in the private sector. So I was working at Walker's. So I wasn't a civil servant. And I, I went to several meetings. I think I went to, in the early days to a couple of C4C meetings. Um, listen to what they had to say. Then I went to a few PPM meetings, listen what they had to say, and mm -hmm. thought it was time um, for stand up for change in West, in West Bay and decided to help the West Bay progressive candidates at the time. So yes, I was a member in that capacity. Mm -hmm. Now, after that- So you that, resigned at that time um, when C4C, C4C came around? So, so C4C, was coming around and was beginning to form at the time that I was looking to help in some capacity. So it was around the same time. In fact, mm -hmm. some of the same faces were in the same meetings. Mm -hmm. And eventually I think how it, it bore out was some stayed with C4C and then some became progressives and some continued on their own. Mm -hmm. I, I, landed, I landed with the progressives. And so I was, okay. I was happy with that campaign. I myself at the time thought that I was too junior in my career and too green to, to know enough about government to put myself forward. But I was happy to help the candidates that, that I believed in at the time. Fast forward, that election occurred. Um, none of the West Bay progressives were successful, but a number of the other progressives were successful and formed that 2013 government. Yeah. Fast forward, since my wife knew I had some sort of itch for public service, because if you, if you look at my resume, although I was an investment funds lawyer along the way, I, I never found it satisfying and my desire for public service. So along the way, I was involved in something civic okay. to scratch that itch. So whether it was Cayman Airways Board, whether it was the Gender Equality Tribunal, whether it was the Human Rights Committee, whether it was Generation Now, I still had a deeper need for service, but I wasn't ready for electoral politics yet. So my wife had already made the jump. She left KPMG and had a couple of other private sector businesses and became a deputy CFO. And she said, look, you're always behind your desk at Walker's wondering how did this law get drafted? What was the policy behind this? You do have an itch, but you don't want to step up. I found a job for you that is advertised in the Ministry of Financial Services as a legislative policy advisor. These are the laws you practice every day. If you stop complaining about it, again, it goes back to the theme of 2021, stop complaining about it and pitch in. And I, there was real force to that argument. And I thought, well, maybe she just wants me to work less hours. But she said, no, <laughs> uh, honestly, yes, you, you might work less hours, but honestly, really look at the job. And I thought to myself, they'll never want a guy like me. Um, I'll just be there questioning every law that they've written. But it, the interview turned out to be a real meeting of the minds. They said, look, we, we do need a, a practice practitioner's view, someone that can help us translate what industry is trying to tell us. Is it that they, they want something to get one by us or they, they really do need this? What's the, what's the answer? Um, and it fit. And then after that, I completely got the knack for, for public service and I had to step away from the PPM to, to carry out my duties faithfully as a civil servant. 
from oh. 2014. So I land I landed in the Ministry for Financial Services on November 2014, and had no dealings with the PPM since. So um, one of the things at your meeting that I overheard uh, by way of conversation in the audience, and um, you know, you talk about the fact that you've got support. Um, on your committee from, you know, progressives, people, independents, and um, even, you know, CDP members. And I did have a committee member of yours reach out to me on Friday um, when we were discussing the the discourse that was happening amongst your some members of your audience. And they said, listen, it speaks volumes to Andre's, um, you know, credibility that all three of these entities, um, well, they, they named Tara as an independent, but I think most of us accept that she really wasn't. But they said, you know, Tara and her um, supporters, progressives and CDP. And I thought to myself, I'm not so sure that that's a selling point for Andre because um, those are the individuals who have put us in the situation that we're in now, even with this coalition government not being able to stand up here we are on International Women's Day. And I know you have been involved in um, advocating on behalf of women. Um, you know, violence against women is one of the biggest concerns that, that people have. And here we have a sitting member of the LA, another West Bay um, you know, MP and Speaker of the House who attacked a woman violently unprovoked at her place of employment. And so um, the logical question then is number one, um, what is your position against violence against women tied into what do you, what would you have done if you were an MP at the time that this incident happened? What would you have called to have been done as it relates to Mr. McKeever Bush? Okay, couple, three or four points there. Mm -hmm. So one, in terms of those who attend, our committee is trying to attract the broadest cross-section possible and not mm -hmm. particular groups. So if particular individuals of different backgrounds come, we can't help that and we're inviting that because we want the broadest level of support. In relation to violence against women, categorically cannot be stood for. That's that's a given. And, and that goes for any person, man, woman, or child, but in particular, women. I can't be a former member of the Gender Equality Tribunal and be for violence for women. I can't be a former Human Rights Committee member and be for violence for women. So that's categorical and, and obvious. The question about whether or not what would someone have done in the in relation to Mr. Bush was the last what, piece what of What would question. you have done? What I've done? Okay. Yeah, what would so, you have done? Okay. I want to say a couple of things there and then answer your question. Okay. Number one. I think the overriding issue, because this comes up on the campaign trail, understandably for constituents, is f folks want their, again, some feedback. I hope you can still hear me. Yes. Okay. Want their members of parliament to uphold a particular standard. And if that standard is not upheld, they would like a consequence drawn from that. So, and I can understand that because in my role as representative to the, U, to the UK and to Europe, I was acutely aware that any move that I made, any meeting that I turned up into the UK parliament, any meeting that I had for the EU, I wanted to represent Cayman as strongly, as eloquently, as intelligently, and with as much integrity as possible because it would be a reflection on the entire country. Mm 
And I think that is what gets to the root of the question is folks want their members to uphold certain values. In that situation, I don't think there's gonna be a candidate that will not answer the question that if put in that situation and any member of parliament were to conduct themselves in a particular way and be convicted, should hold high office. So that's the easy part. The question now is, what do we do about it prospectively going forward? Because the situation could happen again, which I think is the other part that underlines the question because people don't want this to happen again. I think therefore we should take it as a teachable moment and think, well, what would be the solution? My solution would be that we work together as recommended, but now the Human Rights Commission, which is the successor to the Human Rights Committee. Their research shows that our, many of our regional countries have a parliamentary code of conduct. I would, I would align myself with the Human Rights Commission's view that we need to implement a parliamentary code of conduct. So when an offense such as what occurred before or in any other offense occurs, it is a breach of that code. There's a prescribed procedure that's followed and the appropriate consequence delivered. Otherwise, we could be back here again and whether or not this comes down to particular politics or dynamics of the time, I think it should be a clear cut code that follows the prescribed manner and the consequence administered. Okay, but I'm not clearly hearing a response. I understand what you're saying in terms of, of the way forward, but in the moment now, if you were an MP, would you have been one of those individuals asking for Mrs. Mr. Bush's removal as Speaker of the House? Yes or no? Well, two, well, two things. Number one, I think there's a step before that. Any okay. person who had found themselves in inappropriate conduct should voluntarily in my opinion, well, any did. person, the MP, resign. Yeah, so yeah. I'm talking about any, you're asking what I would do. No, I'm saying so, you, you was, you was as MP. I mean, you can't control Mr. Bush's behavior, obviously. No, 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 no. You're asking hypotheticals as an MP, what I would do, right? Right. Yes. So I'm asking the first part. I think there's a first step. As an yeah. MP, if I found myself in that situation, which I pray to God I wouldn't, or any improper conduct. The no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm misunderstanding the question. So let me just no, 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 I haven't, no, I haven't, I haven't. I'm getting okay. to your part of the question. I just think okay. there's a first, there's a preliminary step to not overlook, okay. is that if I am the MP in the hypothetical who was convicted of improper conduct, my reaction would be to voluntarily resign. Now, if should that measure have failed, which goes to the root of your question, the appropriate measure would have been for a resolution to be brought for that individual, if it were me, for that individual to be returned to the backbench, unless it was an offense of the constitution that disqualifies you as a member altogether, which is a different kettle of fish. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, the, yeah, the hypothetical wasn't if you had done it. <laughs> but, no, no, uh, but I wanted to make that clear because I think it's yeah. an important point because I think, yeah it's the, the step that you're talking about arises when the person has not resigned. Right, so I think it's right. an important step to make that if I was that person, I would have voluntarily resigned. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, there was another second part to Lana's question. So she says, what are your thoughts on the performance of Tara on behalf of her constituents and the country in the past eight years? And what, if anything, would you do differently? I think in terms of, cause I, worked under Minister Rivers for a brief period. So when I was in financial services, I worked firstly for former minister, Wayne Panton. Right. And I, for probably, I think, 
two and a half years of his term, and then maybe the first year and a bit of Minister Rivers' term. Okay. And I, I learned a lot from, from both individuals. And they both had different strengths and um, different areas of focus. From what I can see from, from Minister Rivers, I'm eyeballing her up front for the brief period that I was under her. I thought that she had a, a good understanding of industry and wanted to help it as much as it could. I then moved from there to community affairs. So my eyes were more now under the premier and Councillor Harris's brief. So I didn't really get a fuller assessment of the entire four years of Minister Rivers up close as I would have more so with Minister Panton. And then in terms of the community, uh, I, I wasn't, I was now at that point, no longer a constituent and I became a constituent of Mr. Harris's. So I hadn't had an up close personal opportunity to assess her workings as a member of parliament for the constituency. Mm -hmm. So the question, the answer then is you think she did a good job? <laughs> I, 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 I'm saying I'm not in the best position to assess whether or not she did the best job because at the time I wasn't working directly for her. Okay. Um, but you are still a member of, where, where do you live? You actually live in West Bay South or you're close to West Bay South? I live in Prospect at the moment. Oh, you're in Prospect. Right. Cause you've just gotten back. You did say, right. Um, so you don't really, you don't think that you can comment on, I mean, it's, it's a bit of an interesting response because I think at the end of the day, um, you know, you're no longer civil servant. Um, you could look at her track record as it relates to education, her track record, financial services. We've been blacklisted um, once, gray listed once under her tenure, but you don't think you're in a position to assess Oh, her? I, I think that there's, 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 there's always room for improvement there. Sorry, I thought the question was more in the capacity of working with her. No, 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 no. Uh, sorry Just about that. her as a representative. Yeah, I think that people and of, of West Bay South in particular. I think there were some notable achievements. And I think she was she was instrumental in the extension of CEDAW. And I think she did some she moved she moved some achievements in terms of gender, gender equality agenda. Um, there are other areas that I think are, are still are still opportunities for further advancement and enhancement. And, that, and those are some of the things that I'd like to carry forward and, and pick up the baton and push those forward in terms of financial services and in terms of education and in terms of social services. Mm. Another question that has come in um, from one of our WhatsApp viewers says, can you ask why I should vote for Andre and I don't even know him? So Andre, a lot of people, um, how long, we're getting to know you, so give us a little bit of information here. How long were you working as policy advisor? How long were you in that position for? So that was from 2014 until 2018. Okay. Senior legislative policy advisor and Ministry right. of Financial Services. And then from there, I moved to be a deputy chief officer in community affairs. And okay. that was out of a personal passion. I'm not, on that occasion, my wife necessarily wasn't so sympathetic to me putting my, my applying for that role. Uh, she thought perhaps that 
based on my um, financial services legislative background that that would be a more comfortable role for me. But I reminded her that my first degree is, is sociology. And so when I saw the role, it then grabbed me as my first passion. Mm-hmm. And I went back to thinking about all that can be done for social services. And that role in particular opened my mind to, I think, the issue of mass poverty that we have in the country. It really did blow my mind working with NAU and the social workers to drive by areas every day that we all drive by for work every day and not really have a detailed understanding of how, how many folks need assistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've said this um, publicly in, in my capacity as deputy chief officer at a, at a meeting of the public accounts committee that we have what's known in sociology as either what's called structural or embedded poverty, mm-hmm. where it's generational. And if individuals don't receive a set of wraparound services and, are, and we, cat- we stratify exactly who we consider as poor, what is poor, where is the poverty line, and have a set of wraparound services to identify each challenge, then those folks will be seen by the marketplace as less marketable and continue to get passed by. So we need to come to grips with that, admit it to ourselves as a country, roll our sleeves up, and be able to deal with the underlying root causes of poverty and not just trying to treat um, the outcomes of poverty. Mm-hmm. That was from 2018 until 2019. And then I uh, was asked to put my hat in the ring for the position of the representative to the UK um, and Europe. And that was from 2019 until last month. Well. Um, yeah, last month. So you were, you said you were asked by whom? By someone in government? Yeah, it was going to come out, and a couple of folks in government said that this would come out, and we think that you mm-hmm. might be an ideal candidate, among with a few others. It'll be an, it'll be an internal secondment uh, to government, but we think that you're one of the folks that might be able to fit the profile. Mm-hmm. And I took I took a look at the role. I read it. I, actually, I'll be very honest with you and your viewers. I wasn't initially convinced. I was wondering whether or not the role would be more so a sort of a social butterfly role in terms of the sort of the conference circuit, the event circuit. Um, But I was convinced before signing that there was a lot more that you can do. And one of the most surprising things um, and probably pleasantly surprising things that I discovered was our Caymanian students. Mm-hmm. It, it's incredible, and I, you should, probably we should all know, but it, it's incredible just what these students are are learning. I would argue in, in my day in studying in the UK and from most of my, um, my peers, there were maybe five or six disciplines, um, law, medicine, accounting, banking, marketing, maybe some HR, and uh, maybe a few others, but now, these students are into artificial intelligence. They're into computer science. They're into sports medicine, heart surgery, brain surgery. So that's the other aspect that I'm passionate about is we've got to find a way to let them do their time away um, so that they can grow and develop and, and be young folks. But we have to then ensure that we create a fertile environment to attract that p- brain power back to Cayman so that they be proud and there are opportunities here for them to take the baton and, and push forward. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so a couple questions coming in for you, but let me just ask you, um, given what you said earlier about, you know, essentially there should be some consequences for um, behavior, even now without there being a code of conduct in place, are you prepared going into the election? Say you are successful on April the 14th. And of course, we know that the PPM has indicated that they're out fishing um, for candidates because they don't have enough to formulate a government. They've indicated that there are a number of people that will be working with them, including you know folks like um, Dwayne Seymour and others. If you are sought after by the PPM and part of their... Um, you know, unity government that they'll be reformulating if they get back in, no doubt will include Mr. Bush, despite the fact that at this time they're claiming that it wouldn't. Uh, that seems highly unlikely. Would you be minded to join them knowing that Mr. Bush will again be in a position of power? And when, in what position of power? Well, we don't know. But Mr. Yes. Bush, doesn't, he doesn't join with anyone, to be quite frank without there being some benefit to him. So they're going to have to give him something, either ministerial position or Speaker of the House again. And that's just how Mr. Bush rolls. And I think anyone who doesn't understand that is politically naive. So it's it's a it's a hypothetical question, of course, because um, you know, it may not play out that way at all. The PPM, even with their um their, you know, desire to work under this coalition manifesto, may not get the numbers that they need. But in the event that that happens, we've asked this question of every single candidate, um, where do you lie? Would you be willing to work with Mr. Bush if he was Speaker of the House or a minister as part of a coalition government? So a couple of things there. Um, one, as you say, it's a hypothetical and we don't know that it's gonna play out that yeah. way. Um, and I would have to, and it would depend on what, what in what capacity Mr. Bush would be operating in. So okay. I don't I don't think it's, and it, it also depends on what the other composition of that government would look like. So I'm not prepared to go down a hypothetical question without knowing the full range of facts. I think at the time that the government, what's important now is that the country, because ultimately all the other 18 constituencies are outside of my control. Yeah. Ultimately, I think my, my advice to viewers is to make the judgment on who you believe is the most qualified person to take this, an experienced person to take this country forward in your constituency and cast your ballot. Mm -hmm. On the day of election, if we wake up at that time, I'll be working with who I believe is the most effective combination of ministers, our um, backbenchers, to take this country forward in a meaningful way and assess the facts at the time on the ground. Mm -hmm. I should also make I should also make an important point that uh -huh. if no matter whomever is elected in West Bay through all the constituencies of, of West Bay, if I am elected, we are going to have to work as cross constituency. I don't subscribe to the view that my assistance and responsibility stops at the boundary line of West Bay South. I subscribe to the view that we'd all have to be working together in that capacity. We're all multi-generational West Bayers, have a, a bloodline uh, there that we have to work in partnership for the for the betterment of West Bay. So in that local capacity, I would be willing to work with whomever is returned by all of the West Bay South, West Bay constituencies. 
Okay, two simultaneous questions coming in on WhatsApp. Um, I do know that we're going to have another candidate joining us, but we will give him more than ample time. We'll go into overtime. Um, one question says, Andre, let's be honest. If you were not assured a position at Walker's, if you were unsuccessful in the election, would you still have put forward your candidacy? And the other person, quite coincidentally enough, literally a minute before, said, has he been guaranteed a job with Walker's if not successful in the election? So both connected questions. First, um, has Walker's or any other law firm promised you employment if you're not successful in the political race? Absolutely not. Okay. So that negates the the other person's question um, regarding if you hadn't been promised, because I think they were making an assumption that you had been. No. Um, yes. Okay. So um, Lana shares that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy to, to to state that I've taken a complete leap of faith that I've left my current job mm -hmm. with no design backup plan right now. I would not I would not have a plan after the election because I thought I need to do this freely without any other concerns or any other interest. Right. It's the only way in my mind to put my fullest foot forward. Okay. Um, Lana says that you're a politician. <laughs> um, Vicky says most bears do not know him. Um, you lived in West Bay before you moved to the UK, Andre? So I lived in West Bay coming out of university for, for okay. a few years um, and then before marriage. So, yes, I okay. lived in the South um, Safe Haven at first, which was in West Bay South, then Kong Point Road, then Watercourse Road, and then later in um, Villa Royale on West Bay Road. Okay. So when I voted in the 2013 election, I was a registered West Bay voter. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jonathan gives you some support. He said, I'd vote for Andre in a second over them, uh, over those other guys. My problem is he's not in my constituent. Uh, Melody says, good morning, Sandra and Andre. Straight question. Andre, if you were an MP, would you have supported the no confidence motion in regards to the speaker um, last year? And do you think that the premier acted in the right way by calling an early election? I think I've answered the first question already. Um, and in relation to the second question, the early election obviously impacts me because I would have liked a longer runway. Um, so from my mind, I would have preferred if, if all of the voters would, might have had a longer time to evaluate their candidates. Yeah. And not just that, but it, it actually has disenfranchised people, um, like people who are planning to return home, who are in quarantine. Even the Human Rights Commission has issued a statement about that saying that the elections office now needs to find um, a way to, to address that issue because of the short notice that presented itself. So and even yourself, you, even yourself, your folks in, in media, um, yeah. I, I had to scramble to, to rearrange debate schedules. Um, so sure. yeah, uh, it was difficult for all of us, I think. So Andre says, um, will you comment on two key issues? Number one, government transparency and accountability. And number two, current pace of development and population growth. So let's start with number one, government transparency and accountability. So accountability goes back to the point I was making about a parliamentary code of conduct. We now are now starting to kick into gear the standards in public life, but I also believe that we need a parliamentary code of conduct. Again, I would re refer to call it to the human right if he's not seen it already, or the emailer 
um, to the Human Rights Committee website, Commission's website, if not seen it already, where they've done extensive research on all the different Caribbean countries and the measures that they have in place. I think the ro most robust model that I saw was Turks and Caicos, where they have mm -hmm. a minister's code, and I think they have a parliamentary code, and they also have standards in public life. So I think that is paramount because this we're dealing with public funds. Anytime I was ever in a post, whether it was in financial services, whether it was in um, community affairs, or even in the London office, the first, the first question was, how are we spending the people's money? Is it value for money? And can this stand up under public scrutiny? And you have to be able to issue that information with a straight face without any constraints to the public so that they can see, see the value for, for, their, for their taxpayer money and how policy is, is implemented. On the second question, the current pace of development goes back to what I mentioned on Thursday. Um, I think we have to take a step back and create an environmental management framework. So that we as a country have a master plan as to how we're going to develop. So let's say, for example, in, in my proposal that by 2031, we are the regional leader in, in climate action. What that does is that that will compel us to have a developmental framework so that we actually plan and say, this is where we want to be and let's work backwards from there of how we're going to get there. There'll be certain spaces in which development will be needed um, and appropriate. And I, and I think a, a few of the candidates have already come forward with some good ideas in terms of making sure that we plan for the infrastructure and social economic impacts of that development and make sure you have stakeholder buy-in from all stakeholders. But then there'll be other areas in which it's going to be appropriate to conserve and make sure that we have environmental actions and are ready for climate um, adaptation. So I think the, the current growth of development, I think needs to be looked at, mm -hmm. but also more importantly, planned. Where are we going as a country? What would we like seeing done? Where do we want to be in say 2031 or 2035 and work backwards from there? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, Jonathan feels like uh, the questions are not being answered as forthright as they could be. Um, King does share that when I met Andre briefly when he was attending, when he was in an office, attending networking social, he was genuine in his interest in the Cayman students um, studying here in the UK. Um, Leon is asking, why is few questions always leading back to Mr. Bush? Sincerely tired of hearing about him. <laughs> You're not the only one, Leon, but it is um, sort of a big issue that um, has been created all because Mr. Bush wouldn't step down. But Leon goes on to say, um, let's focus on the future changes that are needed rather than the current hype. Hmm. With or without elections, Mr. Bush's situation will be forgotten in six months. Wow. Andre, good luck with West Bay as they believe in who we know not what you do. Okay, I'm not sure I get that part, but all right, Leon. Um, Brent says, finally, some talk on policy. Sue, um, I think she's back to the Royals thing, which we have moved on from for quite some time. So it's, it's interesting how um, people can be so incredibly dismissive of a situation that has impacted not just that particular victim, but an entire country. And in fact, has led us to where we are now with the calling of an early election. But people say, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be forgotten in six months. I can't help but wonder um, if 
that was his mother or sister that had been assaulted if he would be feeling so nonchalant about it that, oh, she'll forget it in six months or the country will forget it and move on in six months. Quite interesting indeed. Um, Andre, what else can we look forward uh, to in terms of your top issues that you're focusing on? Sure. I think, um, well, number one, just to, to cap that point off, I don't think it should be forgotten about, as I, I'll reiterate that I think it's it's a teachable incident for the country that we have to learn from and put p procedures in place to make sure it doesn't happen again and that it's not forgotten about. Mm -hmm. And there, there are, I don't think it's the only instance where as in our history that we would see regrettable um, parliamentary conduct. So I think we do need to put more policies and procedures in place to deal with that and not let it be forgotten about. Um, back to what else I'll be working on. So I've touched on, touched on the environment. I've touched on development. I've touched on embedded poverty. I also really want to, as part of the environment, come back and maybe perhaps talk to you about renewable energy. I really think that there's a now a time has come for our country to now leave fossil fuels and go into renewable energy. Uh, one, because it's cheaper mm -hmm. uh, and can assist with cost of living. And two, it could potentially create an industry for jobs. It'll, it'll take labor. It'll take person power to add solar panels and create wind farms. And these are jobs that are being expanded in countries all through the G20 and in the UK, where you can train up a whole other set of skill set. It also provides, the other part of what I'm working on, it also provides a new image for the island. So many of the UK parliamentarians I would engage with, the EU officials I would engage with, they see us through a particular lens. Even the ones who are favorable us and trying to defend us see us through a particular lens of financial services and somehow skirting tax, global tax rules. Now we're doing as much as we can to pass as much legislation as can to convince that, but that's not still shaking that image. To my mind, we need to, with purpose and in earnest, rebrand ourselves in a, in a way that I think that, that we can rebrand ourselves as the leader of environmental actions in the region. I see no reason why we can't accomplish that fact. That then prevents us in a completely different light and shows some of those countries how we're contributing to the global economy and the global environment in a meaningful way. It also provides an opportunity for our financial services vehicles as and some of this research and work is starting to happen to show how our in investment vehicles that have mastered bringing capital to the market can assist with blue and green projects around the world. So mm -hmm. then those other countries begin to see us not as someone who's squirreling away all of this tax money is what they believe, but actually contributing to the global economy and the global agenda. That could be Cayman's role to show how our, because the, the public purse from around the world, all the countries put together, will not be able to fund green and climate actions by themselves. They're going to need private capital. Our mm -hmm. investment vehicles have mastered bringing that to the market and they've already started to. We can begin to collect that data and incentivize funds to continue in that path. You then will be looking at across the tables from, and for 
EU officials and other G20 officials to see Cayman in a different light and say, oh, okay, that's how your structures works. That's how they contribute rather than pull money out of our economy. It then provides us a whole other chapter in our history. So I would strongly advocate for us to build around a green and blue economy, which will help with cost of living, help with job creation and help with image. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think that should answer Brent's question about energy cost. Um, Darlene shares with no disrespect, the South, North, West, and East does not matter. All the indigenous Caymanians are family. With that, will include uh, missing something here. With which that will include of the constituencies in the Cayman Islands. Not quite sure, Darlene. I get that. Tommy says, if I were a West Bay South constituent, I would vote for Andre Ebanks. He's the better candidate for West Bay South. His hard work ethic and integrity is what is needed. And he will work from day one for Cayman to continue to be the best place in the world. He will work hard for the best interests and results of everyone in Cayman. I do think um, your particular constituency, Andre, is going to be very, very interesting, especially now that Tara is no longer in the race. It's a two-man race. And in many respects, you and Raul have um, a lot of similarities in the sense that you're both um, professionals, you know, qualified. He was obviously in the telecom country, uh, telecom industry, you know, having been a CEO at Digicel, and he's also a small business owner. But I think your race is going to be um, one to watch for sure. Uh, Darlene says, I believe Andre has a lot to offer. All the best. Good morning, Nancy. Uh, Ray says that Andre is very capable and smart person. I wouldn't hesitate voting for him if I could. His great work in the UK for us is an example of this. Give us an idea of what you were up to um, in the UK. I know you were only there for a short period of time, but what are some of your achievements while you were in that position? Well, it's a it's a tour of two tales, mm -hmm. COVID, uh, pre-COVID, and then post-COVID. Uh, pre Pre-COVID, I think the, the role followed its normal pattern where you're representing Cayman among the other overseas sister, OTC, sister overseas territories, as well as in front of parliamentarians and then assisting with business development and assisting the local London stakeholders know more about Cayman so they can support Cayman. Post-COVID is a totally different tour and a unique set of challenges that I just, I don't think the office, just by me being there at the particular time, ever faced. Mm -hmm. So before COVID got started, we were put on the EU tax blacklist. That London is, as you would appreciate, a financial services center, just like New York. There's a lot of, not Cayman, because a lot of Cayman firms have offices in London. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the actual firms that instruct our firms. A lot of people that had to be talked through what happened and what's the action plan to get off. So that took rounds of meetings with the Ministry of Financial Services, London stakeholders, uh, EU officials to try to work through a plan for the country to successfully get off, and it did. But while that was going on, COVID obviously hit. COVID presented a whole other range of challenges because the Caymanians overseas are, are far larger than just the students. The students are there and they're hugely important, but you not only have the, the government scholarship students, you have those who are there or privately funded or private scholarships. 
You have young K-Manion professionals who have already gone on um, to get the degree or are out there working. You have K-Manion pensioners who decided to, re to retire. Um, in the UK, it, it gave the office unprecedented insight of who exactly from K-Man is in, is in the UK and or in also in wider Europe. It was a challenging time initially because first the borders were closed. You had Caymanians not just trapped who needed to get home in the UK and Europe. They were as far flung as Asia. They were as far flung as, as Australia, all calling, how are we gonna get back home? Uh -huh. yeah, that required negotiation, not just with UK border control, but border control and airlines from many different international countries to try to get Caymanians home. In addition to that, you would remember that there would be rounds of negotiations with British uh, BA to, in order to have these flights arranged, coordinate who was going to be able to on those flights. A couple of the first flights were shared by the other overseas territories. So it took negotiation with the other overseas territories to work out how many seats would be apportioned in the plane for each of our citizens, because everybody wanted to get home. And how do you decide who's urgent? So we had to come up with sort of a tier of this person is screaming urgent. This person mm -hmm. is urgent and this one is important because they were all important. But some mm -hmm. situations you had folks who had already given up their, their tenancy, had nowhere to go because they thought they were done with school and were just, or were moving house and were coming back to Cayman and had nowhere to go. They had to come home. Mm -hmm. So it was a, a very intense and, and, a, and a very um, fast paced time where critical decisions needed to be made. It had to be cross department, um, coordination with the foreign office and also with a number of Cayman civil service departments to get people home. And then in addition to that, all the overseas territories reps had to study for their, each territory, the impact of Brexit. So while you have EU tax going on, you have COVID going on, you're also now having to study how the country's gonna be impacted by Brexit. Uh, fortunately for Cayman, we have more of a service economy and we're not trading hard goods. So we were not as Im impacted by Brexit. We had to keep our eye on the travel between Europe because it would be different, the travel restrictions and visas that students could go, go across the border um, as freely would have ended. But mm -hmm. outside of that, we were, we were somewhat spared, unlike some of the other overseas territories actually sell products into the EU. But still, it required attention and coordination um, to detail to figure out and advise the government of how we would prepare for that scenario. So it, and all of that was done in lockdown because we closed the office from March of 20, of March of 2020, because we all said as an office was the 12 individuals that are there, if we all get sick and get COVID, then we can't help anybody else. So we all had to work in dealing with these complex issues from home. And I'd, I'd shout out my former colleagues in the London office to not make it look like it was just me. I couldn't have done it without them. Philippa Knights, Dennison Miller, uh, Rahad Siddiqui, Charles Parchment, a very, loyal deputy, long-standing institutional knowledge of the London office, and the folks that make up the Department of Tourism's team couldn't have done it without them. It, it, and there, there are moments of service there and bonds that have been forged that we just will never forget because you don't know until you're under a pressure cooker like that how you'll react. And I was very proud of the work that we did together. 
Thank you for that, Andre. Um, Cherie, good morning. Says Cayman can be a leading light in the green and blue space. We can lead in ensuring disclosures on ESG for all regulated entities in Cayman. This is a very big deal now. Mm. I think wow. she's right. I think she's right about that. Um, it's the kind of thing you look forward in ten years if we pull this off. It's the kind of thing that whomever's premier gets invited to the UN to speak. It really yeah. could change things. You know what is so amazing though, Cayman, given our current population size, I know one of the questions earlier was about population development and growth. We have, we I think are placed in such a unique position, um, especially because of COVID. We now have the ability to step back and have a little bit more time unencumbered by the rush of trying to make the tourism dollar, which I know is obviously impacting some families. But I think that that gives us an opportunity to dial back and focus on some key areas and try to fix some major um, problem areas, including education, healthcare, traffic, and other things, uh, while we don't have you know, a million people on our shores in the next 12 months. Um, what is your vision for how we could possibly use the opportunity presented by the pandemic to address areas of major concern? I think it's all related. I think it's all connected. We do have to use this opportunity and not squander this time where certain things are paused and do some, and I don't know that it requires much uh, analysis because I don't want us to get into a situation where we have to engage in two years of studies. There are a number of studies that are sitting on the shelf that need to be implemented, that all it takes is like-minded folks with the will and there'll have to be some consultation. Things will need to be appropriately updated. But we don't have to spend two years working working on this. There are a number of plans that are sitting on a shelf in community affairs. There are a number of plans that are sitting on a shelf in education. There are a number of plans that are sitting on a shelf. The environmental policy, I think there's a 2011 environmental policy that has yet to be fully implemented. So fast forward 10 years, yes, it will have to have appropriate modifications, but they're not hard to do. And once we have those policy frameworks in place, appropriately update them, there's nothing that this country can achieve. Thank you so much, um, Andre. Just a few more points. Um, Brent says, overseas uni student here, while I appreciate the line of questions about the character of other MPs, um, I think Brent, it's bigger than that, but okay. I have seen little about policy and it makes my job as a citizen harder to cast my vote. I would appreciate in-depth policy discussions for candidates to help with my decision. By the way, Brent, speaking of that, let me um, do a shameless plug here. Um, we are actually going to be giving candidates an opportunity to come on our um, platform. These will be recorded sessions, but then we're going to push them through as live. And they will speak on 10 key areas of policy and no questions asked, no interruptions. They just get to speak on you know, what they see as areas of concern uh, relating to those and um, also what their solutions are for those key areas. So let me just, I'm going to pull up what they are. I remember most of them from memory, but so that I don't um, forget any, uh, let me tell you what they are. So this is going to be the speakeasy segments education, employment, development, cost of living, traffic management, the environment, healthcare, tourism recovery, the pandemic, and political accountability. And I think the last one is where those questions stem from this morning. So hopefully 
um, rent, you appreciate the bigger picture of um, political accountability. Darlene says, with no disrespect, Andre's Ebank's father is an indigenous Caymanian in West Bear. Maybe your people should ask Andre who his daddy is. Okay, well, um, who, who your daddy is? <laughs> Atlee Ebanks, uh, former manager of Andy's Rent-A-Car. Um, and prior to that, he was in banking. Okay. And she says uh, most of our Indigenous Caymanians like to vote for who give them during election time. Once they get, they do not care what happens to the country. A lot of, um, a bunch of sellouts until death do them part. Such a sad situation. Well, again, um, speaks to the integrity of who we elect um, and whether or not they feel that that is a necessity to, to um, you know, get vote into politics. That ongoing situation, Darlene, is as, you know, I see a lot of, um, there've been some memes about it over the past week or two, people putting up on EK, for example, you know, $3,500 for my vote or give me, you know, down payment in house. And I know people are by and large joking, but, um, you know, the fact that we could even joke about blatant bribery um, of our elected officials and that people know they're taking these bribes to vote for people who aren't necessarily the better option or the best options for this community is really quite shocking. And I think it is interesting that we, you know, find it funny even. So Edmund says, hypothetical, if you were a GTC voter, would you support Kenneth Bryan as a representative for a ministry and why? <laughs> so lots of <laughs> hypotheticals here. I can't, I can't answer that. I'm not a GTC voter. Um, so I'm not, I don't have the experience with him as being my representative. But I think that from my, I can answer this way, from my view of him in the Legislative Assembly sitting across from him as a policy advisor, I found him to provide thoughtful questions. I think he and I were aligned in relation to housing. We had some engaging discussions on housing. I think he and I, we sat down and we, we, we one, one session we had in my, in my role as Deputy Chief Officer, we had a session where, where we discussed it. And he had really intimate knowledge of how to address it. And we were in agreement that it wouldn't be helpful to have just say one compound. What you would want, which goes along with us being K-Mankind and goes along with sociological studies, is to have a range of different social housing, housing dispersed through the island, carefully planned, which goes back to the master planning of development. It's all connected. Mm. And then having a set of wraparound services, whether the person um, struggles with just a job and just needs sort of either interviewing skills or resume writing skills to whether or not there's a, a deeper problem area and structure it and categorize it in a way that the wraparound services address that person and get people back up and, and running to work. And in relation to folks who are homeowners who don't 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 need the rent or the housing but need their roofs repaired he mm. was he was quite sympathetic and instrumental to the push when we had a session i think in early 2019 to add to the budget to to, to supplement that budget for more homes to be repaired so i found him in my capacity as an advisor working in community affairs to be very engaged and to be very um, knowledgeable on areas of social assistance mm-hmm Thank you so much. Um, Lena says, uh, thank you, Andre. Enjoyed listening. Appreciate your vision. All the best. Uh, Shireen says, great interview. We're going to wrap things up here now with Andre. Louis says, go solo, K-Man. Pay yourselves and support your local ham radio operators, et cetera. 
everyone in the community are important from the garbage collectors to the seniors, and they all have a voice, CMR, and an important role in our community. So vote smart and vote for change. Andre, thank you. We really appreciate you coming on to the program today. Um, all the best of luck with your campaign. I'm sure that we will have an opportunity to speak with you again between now and um, May the 14th, another five weeks or so. And uh, I think I think you're ready to go out there and do what you got to do. So thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you to your viewers. I enjoyed the conversation. All right, my dear. So folks, that was Andre Ebanks um, vying for a seat in the lovely district of West Bay South. Uh, it's Andre versus Raul, Raul Nicholson Co., who has been on the program now for um, quite some time, actually. Raul comes on every single Wednesday so that you can get to hear what his policy positions are and what he believes he can do um, for the country. So this was Andre's first visit. Uh, lots of questions were coming in. So Olivia says that he is the perfect candidate. Please do the right thing, West Bay, and vote for Andre. Uh, we did receive a number of um, questions or comments offline via WhatsApp saying that mm, he could be a little bit more direct in answering his questions and people felt like he was already a politician um, without having yet been elected. And I guess we'll see how that goes. Um, Leena says, encourage people to not vote on personalities and choose the best fit for the job. Thank you, Louie. Now, speaking of um, of West of Georgetown Central, Edlin, um, we just received something this morning that made me chuckle. So I'm going to wait for Mr. McCleary to join us. But in the meantime, let's talk about some other political happenings in the community. So our friend Noel over the weekend was very offended by the use of the word yard meeting by Perlina. And this is interesting because I think it's probably much ado about nothing um, in the sense that, you know what, does it really matter if you call it a backyard meeting, a yard meeting? But to Noel's point, he's saying that it is disrespectful to people in that community to call it a yard meeting. Well, the only question I had is, is it actually happening in someone's yard? Because then to me, that would be the most appropriate term for it a yard meeting. I don't know what else you would call it, but we know that Noel is riding for the PPM. He's riding for Barbara. So he has um, picked an Alric on a number of his posts. And now it's Perlina's turn because of course, Perlina is running um, against David White. So this morning I was more than tickled when I saw someone sent this in light of that conversation that happened um, over, it was just over the course of yesterday about um, calling it a yard meeting. And of course, listen, everyone has their, the things that are important to them. I don't really care what they call it personally. I think what we need to focus on are the um, policies that they have, where they stand on things like accountability, the environment, education, and whatever. And that's, to me, those are the major things. Eh, do we dabble in the ridiculous? Of course we all do. Um, and this, in my opinion, is one of those, but have a look at this. Isn't this ironic? So dabbling in the ridiculous, when you see it, comment. Don't tell us what it is. But when you see this sign, right, and people are nitpicking about using the term backyard or yard meeting, and then you see this sign that has actually gone up in Georgetown Central for Mr. Frank Cornwall, 
This is gonna be number two on the ballot box. Um, Kenneth Bryan being the first one on the ballot box. Uh, yes. Anybody see it yet? The progressives. The big party with all of the money, all of the systems in place, all of the infrastructure in place. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. Okay, folks, that's all I'm going to say about that one. I will have nothing more to say. <laughs> Anywho, uh, yep, Tracy sees it. Alric sees it. Uh, Steven sees it. Uh, Lena sees it. Mm -hmm. It's just a less, lesson in humility. No matter how big and bold you are, um, even the island's biggest party with all of this money flowing and all of these people who are, you know, professional graphic designers and blah, blah, blah. Well, clearly mistakes happen and clearly an entire sign gets put up with a glaring mistake and nobody notices it. It's just life sometimes, right? We have certainly made our fair share of mistakes here on CMR um, as well. So uh, it is what it is. Just as a side note, on Saturday, I was having a conversation with a young Caymanian, and there is something brewing um, behind the scenes with them and someone in the music industry. And I do want to address this matter because I think this is an important opportunity. It kind of um, ties in a little bit to politics in Cayman, but also, um, you know, kind of what CMR does, right? So they said, and listen, I'm aware, very, very aware that a lot of you will use CMR to get what you want. And I've heard the stories like, oh, this person went to the Kimpton and they got bad service. And they're like, well, I'm going to call Sandy at Cayman Mall Road. And all of a sudden, Kimpton management's like, no, 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 no. We'll give you um, a free weekend. Well, I'm like, all these people benefited off of CMR's name and I'm not. What the heck is going on here? But anyway, um, I get it all the time. People are like, you know, I bring up CMR when people start to do wrong and all of a sudden I get results. So that's interesting and that's great if you're doing it the right way and you're not just trying to abuse a system because nobody wants you abusing the system even um, using CMR's name. And over the weekend, this young man said to me that this little dispute that they're having, they uh, spoke to management and they said, listen, if you guys don't resolve this, we're going to go to CMR with the story because this is a really interesting story. And that person replied that a third party, who is a person with millions of dollars, um, a business person in this community, oh, that person has um, Sandy and CMR um, bought or in their back pocket or something to that effect. And I kind of chuckled when I first heard it because I'm like, what? Um, first of all, this person has never donated, advertised, done nothing with CMR. So we've never even gotten a dollar from them. So how do you have someone in your back pocket unless like you've given them something? Maybe it's not money, maybe it's something else, but none of that has happened. So I kind of chuckled when I heard that comment. And then I also was a bit annoyed because the seriousness of such a statement 
or even implying something like that is that CMR can be bought. And you know, now that we're in the election season, I want to make it very, very clear, not just because this incident, this situation has nothing to do with politics at all, in fact, but CMR cannot and will not be bought under any circumstances. Simple. No amount of money in the world can we be bought for. We are here and we are successful because we represent the truth, first and foremost, the cold hard truth in this program, and we are a voice for the people. So we will give the people a voice even when it, it goes up against government, when it goes up against you know large conglomerates and businesses if they are not doing the right thing. Now, I always do my best, and I think a lot of you are not always aware of this, but when someone does come to us with their issues, um, I always do my best to try to encourage the parties to work it out. Because there is something, no doubt, that happens once you come and CMR. People are in your business. Um, you know, they know that there's infighting in organizations and relationships and whatever. And when it's out there, you can't, you don't get the option of taking it back. And I've always been surprised that people who come and say, you know, post this picture, do this, do that. And then they want to pull it back after it goes viral. And there's no such thing. You can't undo situations like that. And you can't pull it back. So once it's out there, it's out there. And I try to make sure that people understand that. We don't have an issue putting your story and your version of what has transpired in a situation out there. But do understand that once it's out there, there's no pulling back. And it is what it is. And also, what that means is if you are somehow in the wrong, you will be further scrutinized by people on the outside who might know a little bit more about the story. And sometimes that has happened where parties come to us and they say, hey, I have a contribution to this, or this person has also done X, Y, Z to me. And it's like, whoa, it puts it all in context, right? So I just want to make it very, very clear um, that this businessman has no shares in CMR. He doesn't own CMR, because I think that was a term that was used as we own Sandy and CMR or something like that. I don't know what that means. Um, nobody owns CMR but me, <laughs> you know, it's not the kind of thing where you find people wanting to invest in it because it's not like we're rolling in money. We are here as a service to the community. That's what this is all about. Um, but I thought it was very interesting that they tried to, to do that. Like I said, in the onset, I'm aware that sometimes people will throw our name around to get action when they feel like they're being mistreated, but to throw our name around to try to suppress and hold people down who are under your employment or under contracts or agreements with you is really wrong and it's not appreciated. So at this particular point in time, I have not called out the individual because I said to them on Saturday, I said, go away and see if you can work this out. You can go back to the person who told you that so-and-so owns CMR and tell them you've now spoken to me and there's nothing further from the truth. They don't own CMR. They've never given CMR a dollar or anything else that would constitute ownership, favoritism, nothing of the sort. Um, we've not even met in person. We've not even broke bread. How are you going to own me? Honey, it ain't that easy. So we have encouraged them. I personally have encouraged them to go away and try to fix this, try to work it out and tell them they have five days in which to do it. And if they don't do the right thing, then by all means, come back to me and we deal with it. So CC says, why people don't get a life? I mean, honestly, it's so funny 
that here we are going into this summer will be our fourth year um, of CMR being in operation. And wow, we went from being the unwanted child um, to all of a sudden, you know, millionaires claiming that they own us. What a hot mess. That really does uh, take the cake indeed. Um, but, you know, outside of that, I think that something needs to be said. Um, so someone has said, I'm so proud of you and the way that you're handling this unfortunate matter of thinking that you can be bought. Thanks for letting us as viewers know. Of course, I don't expect any less from you. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that comment. Um, you know, of course, the biggest thing is it just simply isn't true. It just isn't true. And it's it's unfortunate that people think that they can influence people and they can make people afraid of speaking up because they think that they have some ins with me. And that just isn't the truth. So Alwick jokingly says, how much for shares in CMR? Not for sale, not for sale. By the way, um, speaking of that, you know, this, this comes back to the whole, we're in political silly season right now. Uh, this comes back to the whole discussion of, you know, politicians feeling that they can buy you the voters. Don't ever let anybody buy you, folks. Live in your truth, right? We all have issues and concerns, and I get it. Everybody has financial obligations, and, you know, some of you may be on the verge of, you know, financial destruction even. But if you live as a principled person that cannot be bought, like, you will always speak the truth right? You will always stand for the right thing, no matter what, then it doesn't matter what people try to throw at you. Money comes and money goes. Believe me, I know. I have seen decent money in my day and I have been on the verge of, you know, trying to pick from Peter to pay this bill or whatever. And you you will be fine. Believe me, you will, you'll make it work. Um, but giving people the idea that you can be bought out, no, never. You know, there's rumors of, Oh, that woman in Miami got paid $135,000 after politicians slapped her in the ass. That's why the criminal charges went away. At night, when you lie down to sleep, knowing you know that you've done something like that, $135,000 cannot give you a clear conscience that you allowed someone to get away with something. And then they went on to do what next? Hmm. That's why I always encourage victims. Try to stand up for yourself. I know it's not easy. And there are people who believe that they can make problems go away by simply throwing money at it or throwing around their influence. And you cannot allow that to happen. So Cece says, number one in the Cayman Islands, she's laughing at Alric's comment, asking for a friend. Um, yes, Julie, that's what has us screwed now. V been sold out big time. So yeah, I mean, you know, folks, uh, we're selling ourselves out. And unfortunately, you're doing it so cheaply that how they're screwing us, as um, Julie has rightfully said, is your children will suffer the consequences for you selling out, whether you're selling out your land, and then you have nothing left to give to your children. And then you want to complain that, oh, Dart has bought everything. Well, Dart didn't go steal anything from everybody. He's paying fair market value. And in fact, I know of a lot of Caymanians who approach Dart trying to sell businesses, trying to sell pieces of land, et cetera, and then later on, they're cursing the man. Well, you were trying to make a quick buck. Dart is a businessman. What do you expect, folks? I think sometimes we just need to get it together a little bit more. Um, so thank you so much. Again, happy International Women's Day. 
I've gotten a lot of your messages um, in relation to that. So I appreciate that. The candidates folks are out. So let me just share with you, all 50 of them have gotten the green light to run for elected office. In other words, nobody was challenged. You do recall that last time we had a number of challenges and some people were told that they were not eligible to run in fact. But this time around, all 50 that declared uh, are eligible and they're good to go. I learned something new during this election cycle that I did not previously know, which is that, here they are, which is that you don't even have to be in the Cayman Islands physically to be able to get nominated. Who knew? I didn't know that. Did you guys know that? Hmm. That is news to me, but it's true because Miss Christina Rowlandson, who's at the top right, apparently got nominated. I guess she must have signed her forms and sent them in by email or something, but she um, isn't on island. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know you could do that, but yep. I'm guessing the people who nominate you have to be here, but you don't actually have to be here. So you learn something new every day, but there's all 50, um, some that we know, some that we don't know. Um, there is, we were trying to see if we could squeeze in but there's such limited space on this little flyer if we could actually squeeze in the districts that everyone is running in. But the Cayman Decides website is being updated, folks, with a view to putting um, the list together by constituency and all the candidates already up there with updated photos. Um, Janet says, I wish I had known that. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Janet, maybe that would have um, made other people realize that they could run still have time to come back eventually uh, before election day. Do you have to be here on election day? Now this begs another question that I'm now wondering, do you even have to be here on election day? Maybe you can run remotely from overseas. Huh, I think that's another question I'm gonna ask the um, elections office because yes, this is a learning process. Uh, someone was asking about, about bankruptcies over the weekend as well because I think one candidate has publicly shared that he had been bankrupt and people are asking about that because uh, there is something in the, in the elections law that says that that disqualifies you. But it is my understanding that that is only if it is an active bankruptcy that you are still dealing with. So if it's something from 20 years ago that you've already cleared up, then folks, that doesn't really count um, as an active bankruptcy. So people who are potentially looking for a reason to try to disqualify someone and that wouldn't be it. So just a reminder that the chamber forums start today, folks, uh, March the 8th this evening. So we will be live streaming this on our platform and it goes all the way through until the 6th. Now I know for a fact that this will sort of um, conflict at times with people who are having meetings between now and then, but again, everything had to be expedited because of the early calling of the election. So we will live stream it. And if we have to cover a meeting, we will live stream that as well. And you can watch, you can flip, flip between the two, or of course you can always go back and listen to um, you know, the debates and stuff later on as well. So big shout out to the chamber in association with Foster's who have put this together and they've allowed us to partner with them in terms of sharing the live stream. So uh, much appreciated here from uh, CMR or Cayman Decides, which is our sister website. We'll have that showing, um, but through our CMR platform. 
And let me just think if there's any other announcements in terms of the election. So tomorrow is Tuesday. Now, Mr. McCleary has just informed us, um, his brother actually, that unfortunately he was out assisting someone this morning and got caught up. So he's not going to be able to make it. So we will see when we can reschedule him to come on the program. Tomorrow is uh, Truthful Tuesdays. Wayne Panton, Panton and Kenneth Bryan are scheduled to come on. And then Wednesday, we have Perlina who will be joining us for the first time on the program along with Raul Nicholson Co. So Wednesdays is kind of like his normal spot. Perlina will be up first and then Raul will join us after that. So Cece says, um, so true. I hate to hear Caymanians say if Dart give them good money, they would sell their land. It's sickening. Like, bro, think about your grand and great grandchildren. And you know what is even worse about that situation, Cece? Is most of those people blow through the money, have nothing to show for it at the end of the day that's going to benefit any future generations. They're not investing in businesses or portfolios or anything else. Uh, they're just looking at the very short and immediate future. And that's it. So, you know, you can sell whatever you want, folks. Once it's yours, you can sell it. But um, don't don't turn around then and try to kill the buyer. So um, Cece also says the man from Kim Brock says no weed, no vote. Is he really running? Yes. Elvis McKeever is really running. And I think we showed you guys a picture last week of him uh, getting nominated with his no weed, no vote T-shirt. So he's doing it. He is doing it, folks. So, yeah, that's for real. Uh, Richard Bernard is running. That's for real as well. He actually had Miss Laval Marriott nominate him. And you guys will know Laval. She is the lady who was most recently out by the governor's um, mansion. I guess residence is a better word. Um, with her signs protesting against the police and Dr. Lockhart and other people. She's also famously uh, been known to protest on Linford Pearson Highway last year when she was blocking the roadway with uh, chairs and tree limbs and branches and other things. And sometimes she takes the social media to protest as well. So she actually nominated, she's one of the two persons that nominated Mr. Richard Bernard. A lot of you are also interested in the situation with um, Jason and Moringa Town Bar. So um, Moringa Town is owned by, a lot of us just know it as Moringa Town, is owned by Miss Lucille. And if you're a Georgetowner like myself, I feel like Moringa Town has been there my entire life. I mean, as a child, I remember it being there. Um, and so, you know, there was this whole debate with <clears throat> the tenant dispute. The video actually that we did four days ago has over 13,000 views already. I think a lot of you are very, very interested in this story. But poor Jason has gotten himself into a situation, partly of his own making. You know, we can't give right where, where there is no right. Um, Jason has gotten himself financially in a situation with Miss Lucille where he owes her $10,000 in rent. But Jason has said part of the reason why this has come about is because, number one, she was supposed to give him some sort of discounted rental um, in the months going forward for his leasehold improvements, which he says is about $40,000. And that hasn't happened. So that's put him in the hole, as well as allegedly she's competing with him next door with um, a liquor store. So have a look at some of these photos, folks. Now, I must admit, I think I said this last week, 
I have not been in Moringa Town. Oh my gosh. I think I've really only ever been there once. And that was probably 20 years ago. But this looks nothing like what it looked like then for sure. So I think by all accounts, um, Jason has done a really nice job decorating the place. But the one warning I want to give you is please be aware that anytime you go into a business space, a rental, and you make leasehold improvements, you're normally doing so at your own peril because the property gets to keep those leasehold improvements, folks. Um, it, it's just, you know, they become fixtures and fixtures stay with the property. Now, there are some landlords who will allow you when you, you know, at the end of your lease to remove certain things. I've seen people actually jackhammer up tile off the floor. When I was in Centennial Towers, I actually saw a particular tenant do that. And I thought, wow, I mean, if you got five years of use of the floor, why would you jackhammer it up? To me, that's kind of a little bit excessive. But nonetheless, I have seen some crazy things happen in the space of commercial leases. But normally, and you got to read your contracts, folks, whatever leasehold improvements you make, they come with the property, you know. Um, and there are times when if you have a new tenant, you can negotiate perhaps a little bit extra for those items uh, if you're coming out of a lease early, voluntarily or whatever. But in this case, yep, Jason has indicated that on Friday, um, he finally left the property after being locked in for at least two days. He was sleeping inside of the bar on the floor in a makeshift bed, him and his wife, um, because Miss Lucille had promised that they would come to some sort of an understanding today. We don't know what that understanding entailed, but we wanted to wish all parties involved the best of luck and hopefully they can get it sorted out. And these are the things, folks, that are important to people in this community. A lot of us are small business owners. We have rented little spaces from people before. And when you're paying $6,000 for rental space, you know, you want to think that everyone is being treated fairly, including the uh, tenants, the landlord, you know, there has to be some sort of equitable relationship between the parties. And I think a lot of people just see Jason as a young Caymanian who's trying his best. Um, but there are also some tough lessons there in the world of business, folks. Uh, there's very little handholding that happens in the world of business anywhere in the world. And I think Cayman is no exception to that. I don't know why we don't have more of a mentoring program when it comes to like small business owners, like someone like Jason can go and, you know, um, have a, a mentor, someone who's been in business for 10, 15, 20 years and has a lot of experience behind their belt who probably could have sat down with him and even reviewed the conditions of his lease and advised him of how to proceed and try to always get it in writing, folks. Okay. Um, Cece says, imagine if came and stand up like that at government building for jobs. We sing that we want change, but pride get the best of a lot of Caymanians. Absolutely true. Most Caymanians would rather go stand in the NAU line for an entire day and beg um, the government to help them as opposed to going and fighting for, I want a job, I want employment with a placard. Those are the realities that we're dealing with. I think that's all I've got for you today, folks. There was a serious accident over the weekend, um, actually two serious accidents over the weekend. And I trust that those people are recovering. Uh, one involved a taxi driver and a rental car on early Saturday morning. And then later on on Saturday, there was another one in Prospect 
with uh, a truck and another vehicle. I can't remember what the other vehicle was. But again, it looked almost like another head-on collision. I just don't know how these head-on collisions happen. And so um, take your time, folks. Today, we've got a little bit of weather. There is a marine alert that's out. So please do not go out in your boat. This is not the time to be wanting to take a trip to Honduras or Jamaica in a little canoe. Talking about you're out fishing or you're taking a vacation. This is not the time for it. There is a serious uh, marine alert out because of the weather that has rolled in. So please be advised of that. Exercise caution. Don't go swimming in the water. The severe weather notification, rough seas, and there is a marine warning in effect because of a strong high pressure system that is building um, over the Southeast United States. We can expect seas up to six to eight feet. And this was from Sunday, which was yesterday, um, from late last night over the Cayman area. So Monday, much of the same today, six to eight feet tomorrow, seven to nine feet and worsening on Wednesday <clears throat> with eight to 10 feet. So stay off the water is the best advice uh, folks that I can give you. Miss Lena says, uh, Miss Sandy, I would just encourage persons to listen to all candidates and evaluate on morals, integrity, dignity, and what they stand for as it relates to issues and policies. Absolutely. And remember now, folks, talking is one thing. And there are people who are great with the, as I say, they have the golden tongue and actions are a whole other thing. So we've seen people that get in there with this golden tongue who have disappointed us, right? They said no to the port and no to this and no to that. And then they get in there and flip quicker than you could be flipping your ham sandwich on your plate. Uh, not good. So you have to really question this, what it comes down to integrity. And that's why a lot of the questions that we were asking even today of this candidate, which we've done of all candidates, is about accountability, integrity. What would you do? And these are very direct questions. And in my mind, they come with a very direct response. What would you do? Remember there's that show, I think it was an ABC show or something. What would you do? If you saw this happening, what would you do? And so I think, you know, you have to be firm in where you stand on a lot of different issues. And it certainly speaks to a person's own personal integrity and their political integrity of how they view things happening around them. So Larita says it right. Uh, they walk the walk. Can they talk the talk? No, I think it's the other way around. They're talking the talk, but can they walk the walk? More importantly, actions, folks, always speak louder than words. Um, Alex says, Sandy, the people should amend the Constitution to allow voters to remove elected officials in certain circumstances. The officials must also sign a code of conduct that results in their removal. I'm happy to sign up. Thank you, Donovan, joining us from New York. And this is another thing that I wanted to say in relation to Alric um, specifically, because Alric, you've just reminded me of something. So over the weekend, there was another post again um, from someone who's, you know, again, a Barbara supporter. And they feel like that in order to support Barbara, instead of focusing on what she has done, which would be awesome, but I guess the track record there is very slim to none. They hyper-focus on her opponent. Oh, what is Alric up to? What is he doing? And there was this... Um, comment of uh, this posting about how Alric has 
um, been bought out or has made money influence him or something to the effect. And I thought to myself, you know, as Caymanians, we can be so incredibly petty towards each other. Okay. And I'm going to end the show on this note because I think it's worth saying. So I don't know anything about Alric except what Alric has shared more recently. We did a conversations with segment where like most Georgetowners, Alric grew up, you know, relatively poor and he had the opportunity through his hard work and dedication to really improve his conditions in life and improve his own personal future. Alec is an attorney and he's also a qualified CPA as far as I know. That takes a lot of work, folks. And what I don't like is one Caymanians look at people who have put in the hard work. I myself have, what, four degrees? Sometimes I lose count, right? People don't know the sleepless nights that you put into. Um, making sure that you did well in school, that you got the grades, that you studied, that you made sacrifices. So whilst your friends were out there having a great time, partying and doing the most, not that you wouldn't have loved to have been doing that too, but you were trying to focus on, okay, I need to achieve this for myself so that I can have a better future. I can do better as another generation coming up, do better than my parents did or whatever. And it's not that you forget where you've come from. So this concept that because you now have somewhat of a success story, you have forgotten where you've come from, I think is absolutely ridiculous. That in and of itself does not mean that you've forgotten where you've come from. That was kind of the gist of this comment about Alric. And then they were making um, light of how much community work Alric does. And I thought to myself, wow, so if you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. So if you do the community work, there's always an ulterior motive, right? Alric was literally working. I'm telling you this, I know for a fact, it didn't come from Alric. He was working on average 12 hour days during the pandemic, making sure that people were getting foods and you know, food delivered. And you know how I know this wasn't about a vote. He was doing it in districts such as West Bay who were in dire need. And I wish some of the West Bay candidates would talk about why there's such great need in West Bay when you have someone who's been elected office in that constituency for almost 40 years, the grandfather of the Legislative Assembly of Parliament is from West Bay. How have the West Bay people really benefited from that situation other than getting an occasional handout to buy your vote? Nobody wants to talk about that. And that's why um, I think it was Melanie who asked the question earlier of Andre, what do you think of Tara's performance? I would have liked a, a more direct response to that question. How did Tara improve the lives of people, not just in West Bay South, but the entire Cayman Islands? Because for eight years, she held a ministerial position, both in education and labor. And then they took that from her and gave her financial services. What has she done to improve the quality of her lives? Everybody's looking at that $6 minimum wage going, well, okay. But again, here you have someone who is willing to demonstrate that leadership through service is one way in which you can help your community. If you're the type of person who's been successful and you've forgotten your people, rest assured you're not out there delivering food every day to poor people who are in need all over this country. You'd, you would have better things to do with your time that could be helping you to make money, to make even more money. And so, you know, I don't like people making light of the fact that 
there are people who are really willing to work in the community. It's not everything, but I do believe that it's part of the equation. And yes, I get that people are a bit, um, what's the word, suspicious of candidates who jump up at the last minute and start to do stuff. If they don't have a long and extensive track record of giving back and doing to their community, it does look suspicious. I totally understand that. But you know what I say on the flip side of that? Make them do it. Because that's the only time we're probably going to get anything out of them anyway. So make them volunteer, make them help, make them donate. When they're not successful, we know they disappear for four years. And then a month before, they'll reappear and do something again. But think about the candidates who are in there, the MPs who are there now, who are not even doing that. I mean, honestly, if I were to objectively look at Alric's track record of what he has been doing for the past year and a half, two years, versus what Barbara, the MP for that same area, has been doing, I would say, girl, go have several seats. You have failed the people of Georgetown South. Having a social recently and all of a sudden, two weeks ago, jumping out, talking about, oh, you're going to do a fundraiser with David? You didn't do anything for the past four years. It's just not good enough. And so when you're seeking to, to put the spotlight on someone else and question what they're doing, what their motives are, have they forgotten the people, blah, blah, blah. Oh, do they still live in Windsor Park? Does Barbara live in Windsor Park? Okay, I'm just saying. Let's be fair in our analysis that we use for the candidates, whether you like someone or not. There are some questions that, in my mind, run across the board that have nothing to do with who the candidate is. Let's ask the same question of all of them. So, Sue, have yourself a good day. Um, Lena says, with you and many others, Alric, um, for voters being able to remove officials, if not they're doing what they're hired to do, Definitely a code of conduct. Also, Sue says that's because they're jealous of Alric. I think it's because they see Alric as a threat, and that is a real threat. Um, Alric shares that being in West Bay during the lockdown gave me an opportunity to see the kindness of West Bayers. People were so kind, humble, and respectful, even though their circumstances were hard. Thank you for that, Alric. And he also said that it's sad that West Bears and Caymanians throughout Cayman had to suffer so badly and not had to suffer, continue to suffer. So it's still not a past tense um, situation. But yes, Alwick was was not just giving of money. He gave money. He bought cases of chicken. He did a lot. But he was also out there um, in the trenches himself doing it so that he could get a sense, as he just shared, of how people are suffering and what it was that they were feeling during some very, very difficult times. Um, so Lena says, what is, is, what is it, Miss Sandy? Because they're not posting all what they're doing to help our islands. These are genuine people is why they speak like that. I'm not so sure I quite get that, but to the point, um, even when people are not posting it, Lena came out as small enough for you to know who's doing and who's not doing. Believe me when I tell you, I have a doctor friend. I have several business owners. They help all the time and they never want that information to be publicly known because they're just not interested in any spotlight. However, if I'm standing here telling you that an MP hasn't been doing much of anything, then that's kind of a fact, you know, not like they're trying to hide it. 
And when they do do something, they're the first to blast it out there and to put it all over the progressives website page and social media pages. It is what it is. So yes, Alvick is definitely a threat. He's coming for Georgetown South seat. Those hating just need to accept, says Lena. On that note, folks, I want you guys to have a wonderful Monday. Please be safe out there. Like I said, I do not suggest um, going out on the water at all throughout the remainder of the week, really. Um, and please be cautious on the roadways as well. You've been tuned into another segment of the Cold Heart Truth. So do tune in tomorrow morning. Again, congratulations to all 50 candidates vying for only 19 seats. Whoa. And do not forget, you can go to caymandecides.com to get all of your election coverage. Now, folks, we're going to do it again. Come May the 14th, we're going to have an all day long, like seriously, from I'm going to get up super early in the morning, go and cast my vote. You guys know that I'm in Bodentown, I forget which one, Chris Saunders. Um, so I will get up early and go cast my votes. And then I will be, I cast my single vote. And then I will be um, working in the background, checking in with all the different polling stations, the candidates, the whole nine yards. We're going to have a small team trying to bring you around the clock election coverage right up until all of the results are in whatever time of day that's going to be. So it's going to be a long day for sure. I got to make sure I get some rest um, the days before that. A lot of candidates are planning to have a final campaign rally on the 13th, the day before, on the eve of the election. So we'll bring you as much of that coverage as possible as well. So keep it locked here. You've been listening to another edition of the Cold Heart Truth. Tuning in to another edition of the Cold Hard Truth. Make sure to check Facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at CaymanMarlRoad.com. Subscribe to our IG and Facebook pages to get the latest happenings. 